Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Amen. First of all, it smells really good up here. I don't know if it was Kevin or Sarah, but somebody's got something that smells. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's Kenan. Good morning, City Light. <laughs> My name is Matt. I have the joy of being a pastor at City Light Southwest Iowa, and it is good to be here. I don't think you understand how much I love Council Bluffs. Um, I'm originally from the East Coast, and I moved to Omaha for a year, and then after a year in Omaha, um, I had a really rough season in in Omaha and moved to Council Bluffs, kind of with my tail tucked between my legs. It was a rough season, but it was the people in Council Bluffs who loved me really, really, really well. Um, Literally gave me a room to live in for a year, helped me heal, and would eventually raise me up to be a pastor Um, So it's a city that's really near and dear to my heart for that, Um, but also it was the place that I would eventually meet my wife. So it has that going for it as well. So to see God continue to change the world, to multiply disciples in a city that that is super dear to me is really, really exciting. Um, I love that you guys are all partnering with God in what he wants to do here. You guys' yes has been on the table to plant a church, like he said, in the middle of a pandemic, um, in a dark place that desperately needs to hear the love, the hope, all the goodness of Jesus. I'd also like to add that you guys have two amazing pastors that I love dearly and who are awesome godly men. I got to meet Chuck whenever I moved to Council Bluffs originally, and I got to meet Kenan when I went to Kansas City to help plant City like Kansas City. So I love those two men so much. So you guys got a good thing here going, so continue to press into that. There is a story of a small boy who was perpetually late for dinner. And one day, his parents had warned him to be on time, but that day, he arrived later than ever. And he found his parents already seated at the table when he got home. So he quietly snuck in and sat at his place. And he noticed what was sitting before him. It was just a slice of bread and a glass of water. And there was silence as he sat staring at his plate, absolutely crushed. Then suddenly, the boy saw his dad's hand reach over and grab his plate and set it before himself. And then his dad put his own full plate of food in front of his son, smiling warmly as he made the exchange. As we enter into the Christmas season, I just want us to pause for a second to realize and to remember the great exchange out of love that has taken place, just like the story here of the boy and his dad. Jesus exchanged his life for our death. And he continues every single day to exchange the burden, every heartache, every sin and its effect, and we get to walk away with an amazing love. It's an incredible exchange. It's an act of love that reverses the effects 
of all of our actions. And this morning, I just want to redirect our hearts to experience and to celebrate the great exchange of love that affects us every single day. But in order to do that, we have to go back to the very, very beginning. We have to go back to the book of Genesis where we are told the story of God creating the world. It's a world and it's a creation that he absolutely loved. He wanted people to enjoy all the benefits of it while being in a loving, trusting relationship with himself. But as we know, Adam and Eve were fed lies by the serpent. And eventually they rejected God. They believed that God was holding out his love on them. And they took matters into their own hands. And sadly, the effects of not trusting God, not trusting his, his awesome provision, led to sin and death and all the ugly that we experience on a daily basis today. So this God who loved his creation, said it was good, put it in motion with people who, would, he, who he loved and would love him back and who would represent him in this amazing world, now had a broken, deceived, ashamed creation. Now just imagine, can you imagine what God was feeling and experiencing, all the emotions that he had as this was going down right before him? Now the closest that I can imagine is whenever I was in second grade. I was standing in front of my whole class doing show and tell. I was presenting my favorite ceramic panda bear. I don't know why in second grade I loved that ceramic panda bear so much, but I did. And it slipped out of my hands in front of the whole class into a million pieces. Do you know how emotionally devastating and embarrassing it is for a seven-year-old in front of his whole class to have his prized show and tell possession fall into a million pieces? I was just absolutely shell-shocked at what had taken place. I had my teacher just come up and kind of like gently pull me off to the side and console me. That is the closest that I can imagine God feeling when the people that he loved were no longer as they were originally intended to be. It absolutely broke God's heart. And rightly so, our rebellion and not trusting God has consequences. What God does next is he has an intervention with the serpent and with Adam and Eve. And he clearly communicates the effects of their actions. But in this, there is something absolutely incredible that happens here. Before God even gets to the effects that sin is going to have on Adam and Eve, and then even us today, he deals with the serpent. He deals with Satan. This is what he says in verse 14. Because you have done this, because you, you guys are the reason that my creation has fallen, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. You guys remember in like elementary school, if you were to race somebody, maybe it's if you still race somebody today. Remember what you would say to somebody? You would say, eat my dust. That is literally what God says to Satan here. It's this idea that Satan will only understand total defeat because of his role in causing Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity to sin. Eat my dust. So I love how God has a little bit of swagger here. In the same breath that God tells Satan how he will be defeated, he also tells him how he's going to do it. 
He's going to say, here's my plan. Good luck stopping me. Look at verse 15. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So put yourselves in the shoes of Adam and Eve for a second. It's the guilt and the shame that they must have been feeling for messing up really, really, really bad. They are waiting in line for God to talk to them as they witness God cursing and, and sentencing Satan to defeat. I can only imagine what it was like for them to ex expect the same response from God when he dealt with them. But instead, instead of getting the same treatment for the first time, God's mission to reverse the effects of sin and rebellion is revealed. It's revealed because of his love. Even as God is cursing the serpent and all of humanity for their roles in the destruction of the world, God gave hope to Adam and Eve. God gave hope. Because of, in this verse, we get the first glimpse that there is a particular child that's going to come from the line, the family lineage of Adam and Eve to deal the death blow to the head of the serpent and redeem what was lost. God let Satan know what he had coming. It's like God told Satan, hey, here's my playbook. You can't stop me. Here's the chess move that I'm going to make. You can't stop me from defeating you. Here's the blueprint you cannot show or you cannot stop the plans that I have to show love and restoration to my people. So God's response to their failure is by taking it upon himself to defeat the enemy, chop off the, the snake's head, and pronounce humanity innocent again. He would do what we could not. So in this, can I just bring you good, great, good news and great encouragement to you? God responds the same way to you and your sin today as he did Adam and Eve. Our rebellion has consequences. And you probably expect God to respond to your sin with harshness and condemnation and retribution and punishment. We live, we live in a world that that is the expectation when we mess up. But his immediate response to you is thoughts of love, thoughts of restoration, Thoughts of redemption and not just condemnation. His desire is to exchange the effects of your sin for his blessing. He doesn't want you to live life with embarrassment and a life of shame. He immediately, he immediately wants you to exchange your sinfulness for his righteousness. He immediately wants you to exchange your rejection and isolation for his acceptance. He wants to exchange your grief for his joy. He wants to exchange your anxiety and your frustration and your anger for his peace. And when you put your faith in God, you are trusting that he has a plan to step in, fix what is broken, and make your heart right. That's good news this morning. On this day, Satan thought that he had won by turning humans against God, but ultimately it was just the beginning of the end for him. But God makes it very clear that it's going to be an ugly, heated, hated rivalry between mankind and Satan. Now, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a Penn State fan, and I moved to the Midwest. It was interesting 
to talk to Nebraska fans about the history of rivalries that they have had with other football teams. The rivalries from the, you know, the good old days of the Big 8 and the Big 12 with you know, Colorado and Oklahoma. Those days have kind of come and they've gone. And nobody really knows what to make out of any of the modern day rivalries um, with any of the teams, like Iowa. Nobody really knows if that's a rivalry or not. All I know, all I know is that there is not a ton from what I've experienced, maybe you all have different feelings, there is not a ton of hatred like back in the day with some of the rivalries. The rivalry described here between Satan and mankind is not a rivalry that would peter out after a couple generations. Generation after generation after generation, Satan attempted to wipe out and crush the offspring of this woman. And it's still ugly. It's, there's still an ugly rivalry that we have going on. And the rest of the Old Testament goes to great lengths to demonstrate that the main characters are descendants of the family line of Adam and Eve, begun by God. And what hangs over every single main character is whether or not this is finally the seed promised by God in Genesis 3.15. Would it be them? But none of them, none of them were able to overcome sin and death and crush the serpent. Nobody could do it. Somewhere though, somewhere along the line, among Eve's offspring, there would be a savior. There would be somebody. But in an understated way, every single attempt of Satan to crush the woman's offspring, all these heroes in the Old Testament, ultimately they're just bruises to the heel. God's promised line would not die so easily. Well, the Old Testament ends, and that particular seed is not born. The whole world waited thousands of years for God's promised Savior, while Satan seemingly reigned in full force. But then, finally, in the most humble, unexpected way possible, he came, and he was here. The time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God was finally at hand. Jesus is the particular seed promised in Genesis 3.15. And we celebrate at Christmas time the life of Jesus coming to earth in the form of a baby. Humble. That life to be exchanged for our lives affected by sin and death. It's an amazing, amazing picture of love. The hopes of Adam and Eve and all the other descendants in the family line were finally fulfilled in the God-man, Jesus. Finally, the right man had showed up for the job. God himself in human form came and lived amongst his hurting, broken creation that he loved so dearly. And during his time on earth, he would begin to dismantle all the effects of sin and Satan that had overcome the world. He would fight against the curse by casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, and proclaiming truth for all the lies that had been reigning when Satan had taken over. Jesus brought the loving presence of God back to his people. But we also know that in order to fully crush the head of the serpent, Jesus would have to go to the cross to re represent humanity. As promised to Adam and Eve, he would take it upon himself 
to exchange all the ugly effects that our sin caused and give us right standing before God. His love allowed us to be free from the chains of sin and death. The only person who had ever lived a truly innocent life was executed to satisfy the death penalty for our sins and the penalty that we deserved. Satan thought that he had crushed the family line, not just through all the heroes in the Old Testament, but ultimately he thought he had the decisive blow to the promised seed himself, Jesus. But the good news is three days later, God would actually be the one to deal the ultimate effect, uh, the ultimate death blow by being raised from the dead. Satan no longer had the arsenal with sin and death, so he didn't have any more weapons. It was the killer, fatal, final blow to the head of the serpent. And because the promised seed of Adam and Eve was able to lay down his life to conquer sin, he was also able to pick it back up and conquer death and reign alive. Every blow, even to this day, that Satan musters is no match for the love and power of God. There's so much good news for us this morning in reading this story and understanding the whole, the, the whole um, story of redemption story of what God's doing. The good news is that God's immediate response towards every human sin is thoughts of love and restoration of what was lost. Immediately after his own creation broke the relationship and declined his goodness, you can almost hear the words of John 3.16. I love this world so much. I love this world so much that I'm going to give my one and only son as a sacrifice. This is what I'm going to do. That whoever believes in his sacrificial work will experience a restored relationship with me. The good news is that God's love accomplished for us what we could not accomplish ourselves. His sacrifice overtook the effects of our sin and allowed us to be in right relationship with him, him again. There's no greater expression of love than laying your life down for someone else. The good news is that God's love is trustworthy. Be reminded in this story that God keeps his promises. The God who oversaw and planned all the details of this grand story of redemption is also overseeing the stories of your life. He knows what you need. He knows when you need it. He knows how much you need. He can be trusted so you don't have to trust yourself. The good news is that God's love changes us. He announces the plan of sending his son and arranges all the details beautifully to orchestrate the story. All because he wants to change the effects of our sin and offer us forgiveness. In his love for you, he doesn't want you to remain in the same broken, hurting state. Just like my ceramic panda bear. Do you believe this morning that God loves you? That he wants to restore you and fix the brokenness? Do you believe that this is a love story between God and his people? Because I think, I've been in this place, I think for many of us, we know what we're supposed to say. We're supposed to say, of course I believe that. Of course I believe God loves me. But I want you to be real this morning. I think it's good to be real because I think there's times when I answer, yeah, I know the Bible says that God loves me. I believe that this story is, is good and all, but I don't really feel it. 
I don't really feel that God loves me. I think there's other times where I need to admit, I'm not really sure that I can say that I believe it. This morning, I want you to understand that you, on a personal level, can experience the love of God in your life, despite what you feel, despite your circumstances. It's not just a mental knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge of God's love. You take this story and you also say, in my own life, where have I seen God, God's love? It's not just because someone told you that God loves you. I want you to taste and see for yourself of God's love. It's kind of like honey. You can, ta- you can know that honey is sweet because someone tells you that honey is sweet. But you don't really know its sweetness until you've tasted it yourself. Because God loves you, he is in hot pursuit of you. He wants a relationship with you. Let this story of Adam and Eve and all of God's plan remind you of that. What do you think it would look like if we chased hard to experience his love? What would it look like if we intently searched for something more than the love that we are experiencing today? Or the love that we are searching for today? What if we sought that in this God of redemption? Would our prayer this season be, In this Christmas season, would it be, Lord, to redirect, or for the first time, direct my heart to your love? We live in a been there, done that culture. And there's danger in having a been there, done that form of Christianity. It it sounds like this. I know God loves me. I know that Jesus died for me and that my sins are forgiven. So what's next? And when we have that type of mindset, we miss the depth of, of his love and all that he exchanged for us back then and all that he wants to continue exchange with us now. Lord, direct my heart into you, your love. If your heart towards God and others is a deeply rooted coldness and distance and, and anger at the world, use this prayer. Father, direct my heart into your love. Ask God and keep on asking. Your heart will slowly begin to thaw in the warmth of God's love. Even right now with a sincere heart, would you just in a humble, simple way, pray that prayer. God, direct my heart into your love. There's nothing more that I want for this church family than to experience the love of God. Not just the feelings of love, but all of his actions of love towards you. God in his nature is love. He doesn't point to something else that's love. He says, I am love. It's freeing. It's life-giving. And love is his his immediate response to our sin, just like that of Adam and Eve. Love and restoration and not condemnation, not pointing fingers, not shame. His love is trustworthy, You can experience his faithfulness to forgive, his provision to give, and his granting of life. Not to make our names great, but to make his name great. So we have been part of a great exchange of love. We deserve the effects and the consequences of our sin, but instead we got the effects of God's great love. Would the subsequent effect in this season of Christmas, in our lives, be an all-out pursuit of God's love?
Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would settle in our hearts and minds today and every day forward that God's love is worth it. Would we rest in that? Would we understand it? Would the effect be a sweeter taste, a deeper experience, a clearer glimpse of the love of God and the patience of Christ? Would we go after it and never, ever stop? Jesus, I thank you for your active, compassionate love that from the very beginning has been at work to change our hearts and direct us back to into your love. Would we forgo any type of love that we're pursuing in the world and be redirected back to what your love looks like and what your love feels like? and the actions of your love. Would you soften our hearts this morning? Would you speak to us on a personal level of how to experience and know this love? love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory for this love that you have showed us and that you want to continue to show us. When we die to ourselves this morning and open up all of our senses, our ears, our eyes, our minds to what you have for us and the love you want to give us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.